0: Everything found in Scripture is important, right? But some things are a little bit more important than others in the grand scheme of things. And these two aren't quite as important. If you remember things from this sermon series, remember the first three or four where we talked about the Word of God and why we believe, right, that the Word of God is the Word of God. Remember what we're talking about the Trinity, it's important for us to understand as best we can our deity, God. Remember regeneration because you need it. Because without it, we're useless. We go to hell. The rest of them since have been kind of, okay, here's how you should live because of those things. And then these last two, today we're talking about the last things. If you never understand this one, so be it. It doesn't really matter because you're still going to be in heaven. And when we get there, it'll all become clear. However, I will say that this particular topic is probably my favorite in all of Scripture. Revelation has been my favorite book of the Bible since I was like five, six years old. The day that I read in Revelation where it talks about there's a river of blood as high as a horse's bridle, I was like, wow. Stuff's going to go down, isn't it? Yes, it is. We're not going to talk about that part today. But I've always loved the end times. But quite frankly, the Bible doesn't tell us much about it. Why? There were more important things. So a lot of what we know comes from Scripture. And then there's a lot more that we assume or take context clues and go, okay, we think this. There's a bunch of different viewpoints on the end times. I'm going to present the one that this church believes and consequently that your pastor believes and will teach you whenever you ask him, okay? But I want you to understand that we've talked a lot about different hills to die on. Today's sermon is not, parts of it are not a hill to die on. Parts of it are, parts of it aren't. And we'll we'll figure that out as we walk through it or I'll clue you in as we walk through it. As always, we're going to be in a bunch of different passages of Scripture, so Andy, you can bring the next one up. But we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, then we'll jump into Acts, then two verses in Revelation, then a verse in Matthew, uh, which is not up there for some reason. It might be on the next one, but either way, a verse in Matthew, and then we'll talk about those verses in 1 Corinthians as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It reads, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And verse 18 is not up there, but I'm going to read it. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Go ahead and flip to the next section there. And this is in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, it reads, And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then we have Revelation uh, chapter 11, verse 15, that reads, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever.'" Endeavor. Go ahead and flip to the next one for me there. Ah, it is up there. There we go. Revelation 20, verse 15 says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then the last one, Matthew, uh, says, These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We're going to talk about those other verses later. If you want to flip back to the 1 Thessalonians stuff. We're going to start there. Number one on your note sheets, if you grabbed a bulletin, number one on your note sheets... Don't be uninformed. I mentioned that um, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the end times. Two of my favorite subjects in Scripture is the end times or eschatology and then demonology and angelology, the study of demons and angels, the spiritual world. And quite frankly, those are the two topics the Bible says the least about. How many of you have ever had, my parents did this, have ever had your parents say something along the lines of, or a boss or someone like that, say something along the lines of, I will tell you what you need to know. That is what God has done. I will tell you what you need to know. Is there a whole bunch more information? Yes, there is. It's not your concern. So Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed. And God through Paul says, I don't want you to be an idiot. I don't want you to be ignorant. So, I will tell you what you need to know. It's on a need to know basis. This is it. And if you're wondering, there is one person in the whole of, of, not of creation, in the whole of everything that knows everything, and that's God the Father. Because we know that God the Son, Jesus, doesn't know the day of the rapture. The Bible says God the Father knows. So, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, and one day God's going to go, go get him. Who's he going to get? us let's talk about it don't be uninformed so we have this the church in Thessalonica there have questions about the dead people who die what happens to them you got to remember that back in that time there were a ton of different ideals things about paradise and purgatory and stuff like that they had different terms for it but those are the basic terms so do people who die that are Christians do they go straight to heaven Do they go to purgatory and wait? Do they go to paradise? Or do they go to hell, which is different from the lake of fire? Nobody is in the lake of fire yet. There are people who are in hell or shale. Those are the same word. What happens? And Paul goes, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be like, well, what happens if we die before Jesus comes back? So he says, listen, here's where it comes from. You have hope. This whole section, this whole section of verses is about hope. And it's found in your faith. In verse, right there, in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Here's Paul's thinking. And this is what he says to the church in Thessalonica and to us today. If you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, came to earth, died, rose again three years later, Uh, Thank you, three days later, excuse me. It was not three years. That would have been quite a while, you're right. Sometimes I get on a roll and stuff that comes out of my mouth, I have to go, wait, no, that that wasn't quite right, that part. I got to switch that. Three days later, then you need to believe that he's going to do the same for you. Not the three days later part but that you will be resurrected as well, and not in this. See, our entire hope for everything, not just, not just in the rapture, which we'll talk about in a few minutes where that word comes from, not just in the rapture, but your entire hope for everything in this life stems from one singular fact. Jesus rose again. That's it. And if you believe that, that's where your hope comes from. And he says, have faith. Have hope in your faith. And that's why he says, listen, faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these in love and hope and faith are gonna pass away. Why? Because when we're in heaven, you won't need hope. You won't need faith because Jesus will be standing in front of you and you will be in eternal glory. You don't need hope and faith in that anymore. It's there. But he says right now on earth, you need it. So don't be be uninformed. People who die, are going to go be with the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the verses we read earlier this morning, he says, listen, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. This is the mystery. And it was a mystery to them. What happens? To us, it's not. We have the New Testament. They didn't. And so to them, it was a mystery. And, And Paul says, listen, let me make the mystery known to you guys. In the twinkling of an eye, we're gone. And that's the whole basis for our hope. So what's the timeline of this? Because Paul lays out the timeline in the following verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We read in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, that verse, that Christ is going to come back the way he left in the clouds. There are two times in the end times when Christ returns. At the battle of Armageddon and at the rapture. The rapture, when he comes, he will not set foot. On the earth, Acts teaches us that, and in First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, when it says we are caught up, he doesn't set foot on the earth. He comes into the clouds. How high in the stratosphere, atmosphere? I don't know. Doesn't matter. But he comes there, and we are caught up to him. Verse seventeen tells us, "Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together." The word "caught up" is in Latin, is where we get the word "rapture" from. That's where we get that word from. It's the Latin for caught up. But here's the thing. You and I that are alive, we don't go first. The dead do. Now, that might raise a few questions. And there's really two possibilities. When you die, do you immediately go to heaven to be absent from the body is to be present with the Father, right? The Bible says that. Okay. Then how do they rise first when Jesus comes back? There's two major schools of thought. I'll let you decide which one you want to believe because in the end, it doesn't matter. The first is that the moment you die, you go to heaven. Just boom. If you died right now and were a Christian, you'd go to heaven. The second major idea is that you die, and since God exists outside of time, you now exist outside of time with him, so it's like it's instant, even though it might have been 2,000 years in our world. It doesn't matter because you're with the Father. Who cares how many years have passed on earth? Because God doesn't care. You're with him. And that's what matters. And that's where we get this idea of the rapture for. Now, there's three major schools of thought on when the rapture happens. This is one of those areas where you have to take some context clues on things. Because the Bible never explicitly says this is when the rapture happens. However... Your church and your pastor here believe in one of them. We believe in the first major idea. There's pre-trib or pre-tribulation, which says the rapture happens before the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, which we read about later in Revelation. The second thought is that it happens at the midway point of the tribulation, which is called mid-tribbers. The first three and a half years of the tribulation are a cakewalk compared to the final three and a half years of the tribulation. The final thought process is that the church has to live through all of the tribulation, and they're called post tribbers. We here at First Baptist Church are pre tribbers. That's what we teach. There's a few different things that we believe in scripture, kind of points to that. Um, The revelation uh, in the tribulation is God pouring out his wrath on the earth, not on his church. The other thing is. Find me, after the first couple of chapters in Revelation, until the final couple of chapters in Revelation, find me where it mentions the church. It doesn't. Because the church is gone. It doesn't exist anymore. We're taken into heaven. And then third and finally, at the end of the tribulation, when Christ comes back on his white horse, when he will set foot on the earth again, and set up his kingdom, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, the saints are riding behind him. We might be singing it when the saints go marching in. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is we're riding behind him. How can we be riding behind him if we're still on the earth? The Bible never explicitly says, but I believe, and scholars way smarter than me believe, there are enough clues that point to the rapture being pre-tribulation. So that's what I believe. You choose what you'd like to believe, but study it. Study it in depth first before you make that decision. But I believe the church is taken away because God's wrath is not for the church. God's wrath is for the people that have continued to turn their back on him. Not said, we turned our back on you, God, but you provided the way out and we accept that. So that's kind of the timeline. And that's our information on the rapture. On the, it's called the blessed hope. It is our blessed hope. The rapture. So that's number one on your note sheets. Don't, uh, don't be uninformed. Number two. What happens? What happens? I don't have the time it will take to read through and teach through all of Revelation and various other prophets like Isaiah and Daniel and various other places that talk about the end times. So we're going to hit two of the really, really uh, big ones. Go ahead and go to the next uh, slide there for me. In Revelation uh, chapter 11 verse 15. It reads, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. So, here's the timeline that we at First Baptist Church and myself believe. Rapture happens. Seven year tribulation happens. Then there's a thing called the millennial reign of Christ. Satan is tied up in hell for those thousand years. And it's paradise on earth. It's like the Garden of Eden, except sin is not yet eradicated. People are still allowed to sin. Now, those of us that have accepted Christ and raptured away, we don't sin anymore. We've been given our our perfected, glorified bodies. We don't sin anymore. But there will be people born during that time, and they can choose God or not. And that is where the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of God, on earth, right here, for a thousand years. That's why I'll always tell you that um, the earth, people are always screaming about all the earth, we're we're ruining the earth. And uh, please don't misunderstand me. We should take care of this earth. God gave it to us to be good stewards of. But I can guarantee you that from the exact moment you are in, there is a minimum of 1,007 years left. A minimum of 1,007 years left of this earth. And more than that, because it says after the millennial reign of Christ, after he has set up his kingdom on this earth, Satan is loosed, quote, for a little while. How long is that? We don't know. He said, behold, I'm coming quickly, and that was about 2,000 years ago. Now, I don't think it's going to be nearly that long. I think you're looking at a matter of hours where he's loosed. And he will make one final attempt to overthrow God. And that is when he and every soul that has denied Jesus gets thrown into the lake of fire. That's when that happens. So let's talk about that part for a minute. Because that's really the part that if you're going to remember anything from this sermon, I want you to remember. In Revelation 20, 15 and Matthew uh, 25, 46, we read, there's no middle ground. No middle ground. You are either going to heaven or you're going to, going to go to hell. You don't get to decide and go, well, I wasn't a bad person, God. Doesn't matter. Have you ever sinned? And did you accept Christ? That's, that's it. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's talk about the lake of fire for a minute because the Bible doesn't tell us much about it for two reasons, I think. One, we can't comprehend it. The way we can't comprehend the glory and blessing of heaven, we can't comprehend the, door, the damnation and torment of the lake of fire. We don't have it. The second reason is, I think that if God had allowed us to know more, we would be constantly living in despair. Here's what we know. The lake of fire is a place of darkness. Is it a place of fire? Is it, a, it is a place of weeping and of gnashing of teeth. I spoke about this a few weeks ago in a sermon. I personally believe that it is the only place in the whole of creation where the presence of God is not. He willfully chooses to take his presence away. And that is the worst part of it. That is why there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you're not going to, don't worry, you're not going to hear everybody else that's there. Your torment will be your own for eternity. We can't comprehend eternity. We can't comprehend tomorrow, let alone literally never ending. Everything we know has an ending. This doesn't. It was created not for human souls, but for Satan and the eighth third of the angels that fell. That's who it was created for. And then, when Adam and Eve sinned, it introduced sin and death into the world. Every soul that has been born was, is, and will be destined for that place because God can not live in its presence. He refuses. He will not. He is, a glory, he is the glorious, righteous, holy God, and he will not tolerate sin in his presence. That's your answer. Whenever somebody says, well, how does God throw somebody into hell? He, he doesn't. Instead, he provides the exit ramps to get off the highway, but you've got to choose to turn the car that way. The flip side of that, of course, in verse 46, we read, these will go, in Matthew 25, 46, these will go into eternal punishment. Who is he talking about? That section of Scripture is talking about, uh, it's Jesus talking, and he's doing the whole, you know, you, you welcome in, you fed the hungry, and you clothed the the, the, the clothless and the homeless and all that kind of stuff, and people are like, no, we didn't. And he said, yes, you did this to the least of these, so you did it to me, and vice versa. That's who he's talking about, and he goes, the people who do not do this to the least of these, the people who do not accept Christ, go into eternal punishment, not discipline. God is in the business of discipline right now, right? Teaching you. They will not be in discipline. There's no getting out of it. They will be in punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. And there's only one way to righteousness, and it's God. The world today tries to tell you so many different ways. Follow Any religion you want to, as long as you're doing it right. Do good things. Put enough money in the offering plate. Do all this. There's one way to heaven. That's it. One way. And it's God. You see, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have a blessed hope. You don't have rapture, which is also happiness. You don't have it because you won't go. When the trumpet sounds and God is in heaven and Jesus is in the sky, you don't get caught up. You stay to face the wrath of God. You're running out of time. I mentioned earlier, God the Father is the only one that knows. And that's true. So I would never try to tell you what day it's going to happen. And if anybody does, they're wrong. I will tell you it's coming quickly because God says it is. I'm coming quickly. And I believe that the world is ready or very close to being ready. I was talking to somebody else about that this week. We know in the end times that the Antichrist sets up a one world world government, a one world currency, a one world religion. For thousands of years, the world was not ready. There were enough people that wanted freedom enough to fight for it. That's not true anymore. Most people are willing to sacrifice security, or excuse me, sacrifice freedom for the illusion of security. And the fact of the matter is that there's one final push that is needed. And it's when God takes his church away and millions of people leave this planet in the twinkling of an eye and are dead. Because some of those Christians that are taken away will be pilots and planes will crash. And some of those people that are taken away will be driving a car and cause an accident because there's no longer anybody behind the wheel. And the world's money, infrastructure, and economy will crash. And the world's uh, uh, power, electricity, water, all of it. People that were running it will be gone. And into that steps a man and says, I can fix all of this. And I'm telling you, I believe the world is on the doorstep of being ready for it. You're running out of time. There's no party in hell. There's nothing there for you except punishment, darkness, flame, and torment. In heaven, though, there's blessing, there's hope, and it's waiting for you. So, if there's only one thing you remember from this sermon, it's that. That's the hill I'm willing to die on. He's coming back quickly. Come along for the ride. I'm terrified of heights. I don't think it's going to matter when I get called up into the sky. Pretty sure I won't care anymore. Church, I implore you, if you know him, by him, of course, I'm talking about Jesus, and you know people that don't, you are running out of time to tell them, to beg them to know him. Church and people watching at home or listening at home, if you don't know him, You are running out of time to accept him. If you're watching this, you probably live in America, which means you know about Jesus. You're running out of time. And when time is up, it's up. You don't get to add extra years. You don't get to add extra minutes. When you're standing before him and he's judging, you don't get to go, no, God, I made a mistake. I want to accept you. It's too late then. It's not too late now. All he's, asking for, all he's asking for is for you to give him your heart. It's all he's ever wanted. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. I want to thank you that we have a blessed hope, that there is an end to this suffering, to this pain that's coming, whether it be bodily pain, spiritual pain, mental, emotional, there is an end that is coming that we can look forward to. But also, Father, it I ask that you would, impress upon our souls, our spirits, the fact that the time is running out and there are people that we know that are not coming with us. And I don't care how bad they are, you want them. And we should too. Father, I just praise you that you give us the knowledge to say, And the, the fact of the matter is you've given us enough knowledge to say it's coming, bring as many people with you as you can. Father, we praise you It's in the name of your son we pray, amen.